Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whatever type of day you're having, I hope you're having a blessed one. And I want to welcome you to a walk with Jesus. On this episode of Walk with Jesus, we're going to dig deep into the story of Jacob, Isaac's uh, twin son of Esau. We're going to detail about what led to the form of whom he would become, Israel. So before I get started, I want to start off by thanking you all for coming back to us. I want to walk with Jesus, whether you're from the north, south, east, or west, anywhere across the world, I want to thank you all for your support. I know it's been a while since I've recorded one of these. Um, I actually took a little time off last week because I was working on an anniversary gift for my wife, which I do feel like these things are important that we pay special attention to anniversaries, holidays, things like that for our significant others that God has blessed us with. Maybe not to shower them with the idea of gifts, but to shower them with the love that God has provided us to give them. So before we get started in this beautiful service, which I shall call the Ladder of Jacob, or Jacob's Ladder, as some call it, it's actually a, a beautiful, interesting uh, thing that we dig into. I want to start off with a prayer. Uh, first, I have a prayer request um, for a lady that my brother-in-law, Chris, works with. Uh, she was just diagnosed with breast cancer. And her name is Amanda. I don't have a last name, unfortunately, but um, give her prayer, special prayers for uh, her to come to the Lord and grow in Him and to be able to continuously know that this, this where we're at in this world, it's temporary. Uh, we have to prepare ourselves for what's after this world. So here's my thoughts on that before we start prayer. I know that cancer is scary and can lead people to go straight to the thought of death and depression yet they must understand we all face death and are already dead and that it is not until we acknowledge that without jesus we are dead and only with him we have life that we are free from all the burden and sorrow of death so the thing is guys is that we are dead until we come to Christ. And when we come to Christ, that's when we're first alive. And that's why people see us. They see us and they glow because they see this light inside of us. They see this life that they lack. Or those that have the light see the reflection of light. And that's why we're grown towards each other. So let's start. Let's, let's open up prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for each and every person that has come to this podcast to listen to it. I ask you, Lord, to continuously watch after each and every one of them, bless their lives, allow them to get the food and nourishment from the scripture that we're about to dig into, and for them to continuously share the scripture with one and all, for us to continuously grow this ministry, Hidden Manna Church, with one and all, and for everyone to know that their lives matter, that they are valued members of your church, my Lord. For them to be able to utilize this scripture, to be able to help minister to somebody and to show them how Jesus and walking with him is truly important in their lives. I thank you, Almighty Lord, for all the people you brought here. To your name I pray, my Lord. Amen. So, as I said earlier, we're going to start off probably backtracking a little bit. Um, the actual story of Jacob and Esau will begin and it kind of, you know, last time I said Isaac's story was not that important. It is important. Let me first and foremost say that he has a very important life. And actually, we're going to be covering over some of his life through the process of Esau and Jacob. And it shows how the decisions that uh, Isaac would make, it shows that those decisions 
would heavily impact what uh, Jacob and Esau would do. So we'll go to Genesis uh, Genesis 25, verses 24. That's where we open up with uh, the word, the scripture. Actually, we're going we're gonna to backtrack a little bit. I apologize. We're going to go to Genesis 25, 20. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as his as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, of Padan, Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from you, uh, your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when, so this is uh, chapter 25, verse 24. So when her days were fulfilled, for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red, and he was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterwards his brother came out, and his hands took a hold of Esau's hill. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was sixty years old when she bore them. So you think about today's society. I mean, yeah, we hear about people that are in up in age and they say, oh, well, it could be health hazard or dangerous for their health to give birth to children this young old. But it was very common back then. I mean, you think about Isaac's dad was, you know, well up in age, just like his mother when he was given, you know, when they give birth to him. So we we automatically have an assumption that at a certain age, we're supposed to give birth to a child. But that's not how God works. You know, (laughs) God works where. When it's his time and his place, most of the time when you you have a child, he's going to do it when, you know, it he's ready for you to, not when you're ready for it. So then we go to um, verse 27. So the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents and Isaac loved Esau. Because he ate of his game, but Rebecca loved Jacob. I think Rebecca's love for Jacob, uh, before I go into the study notes, I think her love for Jacob was because God had, you know, from what God had told her that, you know, the oldest will serve the youngest, the youngest will be who carries the bloodline on. I think that she favored Jacob because he was the youngest. And I think if it was reversed and Esau was the youngest and Jacob's oldest, it, she would favor Jacob. I mean, uh, Esau. And the reason why I say that is because. She is grooming the youngest child to prepare him for God's promise, for God's blessing. She's trying because Isaac didn't know. I don't believe she told Isaac what was going on, because if so, then Isaac would have had a favorite and it would have caused even more distress and uh, chaos in the family. So I'm going to give you a little study note here that I have. The name Jacob in Hebrew was derived from the root word meaning hill, footprint, handprint, or hindprint. The verb could 
mean to follow on the hill or to attack from close behind. To give someone the hill meant to take advantage of the, that person. As the name Yaakub was doubly significant for Jacob. When he was born, he came out grasping his twin brother Esau by the hill. So his name was called Jacob. 25-26. As the man, the uh, figurative meaning of Yaakub fit Jacob well as he was known to be quick to take advantage of others. So even the name meant a lot because he would fulfill that name in a sense because he's like, all right, taking advantage of uh, situations, be kind of like trickery, I would say, and taking, a you know, waiting in the bushes for an easy uh, prey. The study notes I also have are the divine word of Rebecca that older shall serve the younger, not only explained the unusual movements she felt in her womb, but also foretold a reversal of uh, patrial customs. Esau, the firstborn, would have expected to receive both the birthright and the blessing and have the younger serving him. Jacob means he who grasps his name for also foreshadows the discord that these brothers would bring to the family. So it's very interesting to me about how you look at this point. Abraham had two sons. Though the first one, God did not promise him an Ishmael, Isaac was his second son, and he was the one that had the birthrights. So in Sarah's world, Sarah and Abraham's world, that was their first son child together. But in Abraham's world, that's his second son. How is that relevant to what this conversation? Well, Esau's Isaac's first son. Jacob's his second son. And later on in the story, we're going to find out how, you know, we're going to see the, the love. And the favoritism in a sense and how the blessing is to be bestowed based off of the firstborn child. But then we're going to see also how God, what God truly meant. So now we're going to go into, uh, this is a very important part right here. Uh, Gen 25 verse 29. <clears throat> now, Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary which means tired and, you know, probably probably hungry. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with the, that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthrights as of this day. And what's funny is, what did I say earlier? Birthrights, that means things that you're going to get from God. What is God going to give you? You know, so he says, and Esau said, look, I am about to die. So what, what is the bright to birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. Jacob sell, you know, trying to talk Esau into selling him this birthright of his. He, and he tells him, hey, swear it to me. I'll feed you, but you better swear to me that you're going to give me your birthright. And birthrights, like I said, you know, mean, all right, well, you're entitled to this land or you're entitled to that or you get this. It's different from, I believe, the blessing. The blessing is what God gives us. He says, all right, 
well, since you're, you know, I'm blessing you to have all this. See, I believe that God's blessing, which, you know, through his servants, Abraham gave his blessing to Isaac, Isaac, you know, so on and so forth. I believe that's even more powerful because that comes from the Lord. But the birthright is what they're born into. That's like being king. All right. For instance, that'd be him saying, all right, Esau, I'm going to be king, not you now. And so I believe that that's what, you know, Esau is like, man, I'm starving so much. I don't even care about that. You can have it. You can have whatever you want. Just feed me, please. Obviously, that stew must smell really good for him to say that, you know, him being out in the field working hard. So uh, side note says the birthright included several privileges. One recognition as the oldest son two double portion of inheritance upon the father's death and three regarded to the leader of the family the birthright could be given away or sold but the older son would lose the latter two aspects of the birthright esau's so if you think about it he gave it away he did not sell it so he was pretty much saying all right you can have these things you can have more you know this and that I don't think really either one. Well, Esau really knew what he was giving up at that time frame or else he probably would not have. So it said, so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So there you go. So then we dig into... Um, I would say, here my these are my little say notes. I said Esau was uh, hungry during this time, also exhausted. As a child, he didn't understand his birthrights. Yet Jacob did, knowing and understanding these rights. Rebecca already knew the fates of her sons, that Jacob would have a um, great nation. Esau would serve him. So Rebecca is already privy to these you know understanding of all this information that's going on so she's just i think that's why she's shepherding uh jacob to to the ways of which he does so it says i also wrote god spoke to rebecca not isaac concerning her children isaac may have been oblivious to the conversation between god and rebecca which shows later on reasons behind the trickery So then we go into Gen 26. A famine would break out similar to the one in Isaac's father's face in his days. God instructed Isaac to go to not go towards Egypt, probably because they are now becoming a big city, a pagan city. I would say that Egypt during that time frame was more likely becoming not necessarily Sodom and Gomorrah, but they were becoming very pagan like and their and their behavior you know obviously worshiping their deities and gods and uh you know even though god had said uh to abraham that the children the generation there'll be generations that dwell in egypt for you know decades or whatnot and i don't i believe that he was that was him saying those are for the great great grandchildren not for his son directly so he's already preparing and protecting the bloodline and getting it ready for that time frame in which um, they would need to go to Egypt. And at this time frame, there was no need for them to go to Egypt. There was nothing there for them. So during this uh, second famine in which they would face, 
uh, God would instruct them to to go to another city. So he would uh, not want them to get distracted. Instead, God leads them to uh, Gera, Gerar, and God promises them that land and shares some promises he gave Abraham. Isaac would lie. So, and I found this interesting that Isaac would lie to about Rebecca to the people of Gerar. And the reason why is because as the same thing happened with his dad, you know, it's in, I'm not saying it's in the bloodline. I don't believe people breed liars, but at the same time, I believe that uh, we are creatures of habit. So if he saw that his dad would lie during this time frame, you know, he might have saw that, all right, well, I'm afraid, you know, I, I need to tell a little lie, white lie. That's what people call it. But I think a white lie is the same as any lie. Don't matter what color the lie is. And I think that God doesn't like any of them. In fact, I'm pretty sure he doesn't like him. That's why he says I detest liars. You don't ever see Jesus tell a white or any fib or lies. He tells straight truth. And I think that it's more respectable to tell the truth. And even if we're even I think we abuse the terminology of, oh, I'm just joking around. I think that's still a form of lying, though. And I know that it kind of sounds funny because, oh, how are we to have uh do we do we feel that Jesus or God doesn't have a sense of humor? But I do feel they do. But I think that there's a there's a way about articulating it, I suppose you would say. And that's something that maybe we grow in together understanding. So anyways, I kind of went a little rabbit hole, apologize. But I was saying, uh, you know, they go into Gar and the people around there are looking at Rebecca and they're like, man, she's very beautiful. She's a, such a beautiful woman. And the fact that they emphasize that is very telling to me because um, it's chapter 26, verse 6 says, So Isaac dwelt in Gar, and chap, uh, verse 7. And the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She is my sister. For he was afraid to say, She is my wife, because he thought, Lest the men... Now this place kill me for Rebecca because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass that when she, he had been there for a long time, that Amalek, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebecca, his wife. Then Amalek called Isaac and said, Quite obviously, she is your wife, and how could you do this? How could you say this? She's my sister. So he's confronting him about that situation because he's like, what if one of my men had tried to sleep with her? Obviously, they knew the story about Abraham and Sarah, and they knew how that situation played out. They had heard it. They had heard that God put a curse on those people and made them sick and almost killed them all with plagues. So obviously, they knew that Isaac's God was a very powerful God and real, which is interesting because they knew that about Isaac's God. Then why were they not worshiping him? That's another <laughs> can of worms to open up, I suppose. But, you know, it, it's just very interesting to see all the parallelisms and seeing how people are like, oh, that, your God isn't as strong as mine. and But yet we have proof of Yahweh and our God and they don't have still don't have proof of their God. And that's why they don't exist. So it says, uh, Isaac, I, I wrote, Isaac will follow his footsteps of his father's. Claiming she is my sister. This would show that, like Sarah, Isaac's mother, Rebecca glowed and was very beautiful as Sarah was. I feel their beauty came from their walk with God, their present pureness and closeness to God. Um, 
So it says, God would utilize, I say, God would utilize King Amalek to protect his subject, Isaac. So I think that that's the whole purpose of that point was that he would have protection through uh, Amalek because Amalek would tell him, hey, anybody lay one finger on Isaac, they're dead. Anybody lay one finger on Rebecca, you're dead. I will kill you. My soldiers will protect him because he is under my protection. So then we go to Gen 26, verses 12 and six, through 16, which I find very interesting because it shows how God builds up Isaac in this land. He builds him up from, you know, he, he might went in there with maybe a couple of lamb or a couple of goats or a couple of things. But, he le you know, in the city, he's like flourishing, growing. So we go to uh, Gen 26, 12 through 16. So then Isaac sowed in the land, and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and great numbers of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells. So that means there were plenty of wells that are out there, but they filled them up full of dirt to stop the water flow in them. And that would kind of, they would try to do that, I believe, in order to run off the sheep or try to kill them off or try to, you know, stop the growth and make the people feel uncomfortable and move away. They were, they're, you know, obviously worried about Isaac. So what are they going to do? They're going to shut the wells down to where there's no water for the animals. Um, so it says, now the Philistines had stopped up the wells, which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And they had filled them with earth, obviously dirt. And Amalek said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So that's him saying, hey, you know, you're, you're too powerful. You got too much money. You have more animals than we have. You know, you might wind up buying these people and overthrow me. I feel like the king is worried at this time, friend, that Isaac's just going to overthrow him with with his animals and his wealth, that God has blessed him. And, you know, he, he's afraid for his, you know, his own his own uh, area. So here we go to uh, some little study notes. Um, Isaac's circumstances and sins were similar to his father's, so he was God's covenant, so was God's covenant with him. Isaac's personal blessings were dependent on his obedience to God and were therefore conditional. But the covenant itself was dependent on God's character and therefore unconditional. Unfortunately, sons sometimes take on the sins of their fathers. Only through heaven's healing can families break generational sins. That's what I was talking about with like lying and doing things that like that's how you follow a liar. Well, I used to be, unfortunately, I believe there's probably a lot of people that are. My son becomes a liar. But my son's able to break that through him telling the truth, through him being an upright, honest man. Either one of them, you know, I have, or I think children in general, they're, they're meant to see that their parents, it's important to be honest. And through that honesty, that's how, and they're being raised, that's how they become better people. And then it says, uh, Isaac's dealings with Amalek resembles the, his father's with much of the same results. When the Philistines observed that Isaac 
was a blessing from the Lord. It was a remarkable testimony since they hated God. If God's people keep pressing forward doing his will, their lives may impact even their enemies. There we go right there. That tells you in a nutshell, that's that's why they did not want them there. They didn't want them there because obviously they they were like the atheists. They hated God. They didn't want nothing to do with them. They didn't want to be around. They felt like, you know, he had he served no purpose. But yet when they see all the magnitudes and the magnificent things that God is doing, then they're like, man, I, I want to be a part of this guy's life. And so what happens is as a leader, King Amalek doesn't want his people to do that. So what does he do? He tries to eliminate at all costs anything that resembles God. So he probably like casted not just Isaac out, but anybody that started following, you know, the teaching of Isaac's God. And thus he would just create the society of the, the atheists, I suppose you would say. So, let's see. Go a little bit forward. All right, so, so Gen 26, we see where Isaac moves his family to the Valley of Gur and digging up wells for the flock. Isaac herdsmen um, found conflict twice. The names given to the wells. Esek and Sitna would be reminders of quarrels with them. And then you have Rahaboth would be dug up further down and be no, and there would be found no conflict there. So it was obviously Isaac would have them dig a third well and then they would nobody would be there. There'd be no conflict. With the other two that they found conflict, they left and abandoned them because Philistines would say, Oh, this is our well, this is our land still. And they'd pretty much try to bully them. And so Isaac, not one to really deal with quarrel, he was more of a peaceful type man. He's like, all right, well, you have those, and I'll just keep moving. And he did. And then, you know, Rehoboth was born. For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land, which they were. So it's interesting because that's where Isaac's story stops at, okay? Now catch this part. Here's where the son's story comes back into place. And so now his sons are both, I'm going to say they're both 40 because this, obviously I don't see why they would have in uh, Gen 26, verse 34, that Esau was 40 years old. He, when he married, uh, took oh, as wives, Judith, the daughter of Bari, Alan, and Alan, oh, my apologies, the daughter of Bari, the Hittite, and Basimoth, the daughter of Elan, the Hittite, and they took, they were a grief of mine to Isaac and Rebekah. And the reason why they're a grief of mine to Isaac and Rebekah is because they're pagans. And Isaac and Rebekah didn't want their sons marrying pagans. They were, you know, they were followers of God, Yahweh, and they want their sons to marry somebody that would follow that same teaching. So I believe they were very, that like started the, uh, that started like a rift in the family. And then, so we go from there. And we go from there to chapter 27. Isaac was the older nearing death. And this is dealing with the blessings. So it says, uh, 27 verse 1. Now it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered him, here I am. 
so what takes place after that is Isaac's getting near death. He probably has uh, cataracts over his eyes, can't see, he's blinded almost. Um, and so he's nearing death, and he's wanting Esau to hunt his favorite game and to cook for him and present it to him. And in doing so, Isaac said he would give the blessings to Esau. And with his blessings, since he was older and aware he would die soon, I believe that with the blessings Esau, you know, he would have, he would be the one that would serve, you know, that God would serve. But here's the flaw in that. Now, remember, Esau is already married. He's already married two pagan women. Jacob at this time is not married. He's not married one woman yet. So the blessing is now very important. So Rebecca hears this, and she remembers the conversation she had with God. And she remembers that God had said the younger will be pretty much will be the mighty, and the oldest will serve the youngest. And Rebecca would go on and and say uh, to to her son Jacob says. Um, Jacob of the they, she would reveal to Jacob the plan and have Jacob uh, bring her a lamb. So Rebecca would cook the lamb for Isaac. Yet in Gen 27 11, and Jacob said to Rebecca, his mother, and Jacob said to his mother, uh, Look, Esau, my brother, is hairy man, and I am a smooth skinned man. Perhaps my father will fill me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go get them from me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made a savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of the elder son, Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, his younger brother, son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and the smooth parts on his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So that's very interesting. If you really think about this, you know, there's a fresh young killed goat, which obviously their fur is, you know, real short at this time frame. I'm assuming that's what Esau, his hair was kind of thick, uh, fluffy, like, and for there to be two different brothers of two different skin types, you know, one smooth and one furry, it's very interesting in the first place. It shows that it was two different nations per se as well, uh, which is very deep with, what I'm going to tell you in a minute where, well, I'm going to go ahead and say it. So it's very deep because later on we find out that Esau was probably one of the, you know, Ishmael was the father of the Muslims. Well, Esau was a part of that Muslim neighborhood. And if you think about it, the bloodline would come from Esau, a lot of it. And there's why a lot of the customs you see, like, you know, Middle Easterners, they probably have like a lot of hair on them. It's because their children, it reflects the children of Esau. Not saying that they probably all are hairy, but it just would kind of show that bloodline, that lineage, and how they trace back to Abraham. And it just shows how wonderful God is, you know. 
And it just shows that, you know, another reason why Jesus, how Jesus connects us all. You know, we see these two stories of two different brothers, one Jewish. Well, they're both Jewish, not yet really, but they would become that bloodline, the Jew and Muslim. And it show how they all trace down. And that wouldn't get into the New Testament where you see Christianity is born. And that's the only way for both those to reconcile and become one again is through Jesus Christ. So we're going to move forward a little bit in our Bibles. And I would say that uh, we're going to go to the part where, um, uh, let's see, we're going to go to 2718. So he went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. So now he's deceiving his father. He's lying to him and deceiving him. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly? So he already, he's already shooting up questions. He, he knows that hunting game takes a while. And he had just sent his son out there. And, you know, obviously, Jacob went out to the field probably in probably about five, ten minutes, caught a goat, killed it. They prepared it. Probably like 30 minutes later, they're cooking it, you know. Fixing an awesome meal for the dad. And the mother's help, obviously. She knows exactly what the dad likes to eat. And it says, uh, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac, 20, but Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Verse 21, chapter 27. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may fill you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's. Esau's hands, so he blessed him. So I'm going to pause there when I talk about that blessing because I had a study note that kind of went with this. It says uh, 27, 1-4. through Although Jacob may not have known about the Lord's word to Rebekah, Isaac did. Isaac did by trying to reverse God's expressed order for the blessing and come for it to Esau. Isaac rebelled, but God's will cannot be thwarted. Rebekah and Isaac did what people often do. They failed to work in God's way in spite of knowing God's word. His work must be done his way. So there you have it. I guess, as I said earlier, Isaac may not have known about God's plan, but he did, obviously. He did know, and that's why he was trying to do the opposite. He felt that Esau was the man to, that deserved blessing, not Jacob. So instead of doing what God told him to do, he decided to try to rebel, and in doing so, Rebecca rebelled against him and tricked him. And so, had Isaac listened to God and blessed Jacob, 
there probably would not be all the confusion that there was during his time frame. There wouldn't have been the trickery. There wouldn't have been the lies. And it's just kind of sad because, like, if the Lord speaks to you, you it's, what it's telling us is that you have to listen. You know, obviously, I was trying to do research prior to doing this, but obviously I didn't. It's funny because I, I discovered this right the moment that I'm speaking this to you. For some reason, the Lord had me point that out. So that way it'd be like a revelation for both of us. So that's there you go. Sometimes we overlook God's little gifts. But then when we go back to second time, we understand and learn from it. So then we're going to go to Gen 27, 24. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? So he's asked him a second time. He said, I am. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near me, near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said. So obviously there's a reason for that clothing because the clothing would be Esau's. And he would smell like the field and he'd smell like the, the mustiness of his brother. Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of the field, which the Lord had blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. Notice how he said, your mother's son. He was thinking, he was talking about Jacob. See, he had thought he had tricked him and he had given Esau the blessing and that Jacob would serve him. But that's not the case. So, hang on one sec. He thought he could trick him. So, here we go now with this part. So, now this is all taking place. We now have it that Esau is now... Uh, so Esau would come home, find that his blessing was stolen by his brother. Jacob would lie and deceive Isaac to gain his blessing. Yet God had told Rebekah of Isaac's two sons' order. And obviously, like we detailed, that Isaac knew the same thing, but Isaac decided he was going to not listen. And Isaac... Um, so he said, Isaac's two sons ordered that Esau would serve Jacob and take from. And so Isaac would see, well, we could see that twice that Jacob would take from Esau the blessings. Like first he would take the birthright, uh, which is, you know, the order. So now Jacob now calls himself the order. And then he, we would see where he takes his father's blessing. And Gen uh, 27 41, 40 through 46 is where we're going to head to right now. And it's going to be the blessing that God would pretty much, uh, that, that Jacob would pretty much have to escape. But before that, I'm going to backtrack because I should have done this to start off with. So I want to emphasize this, that Esau was devastated about this. So chapter uh, 27, 37 says, Then Isaac answered to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master. Tell him about Jacob. 
and all his brethren. So Esau was devastated because he'd done this. He brought food to Isaac and Isaac said, I've already eaten. I thought it was you. And then Esau said, no, it wasn't me. And Isaac looks depressed and sad because he realized he gave the blessing ultimately to, to Jacob and not his son Esau. And he realized you can't take it back. I can't give more blessings than what God's given me. So here's how what happens. You know, we're going to go 38. And Esau said to his father, have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me. Me also, O oh father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. So he's crying. He's upset. He's stressed out. And so his father says to him, then he's, Isaac, his father answers and said to him, behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and the dew of the heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So I'm going to give it imagery here. That's what I like to do. Um, imagine if you have two brothers or two sons, or imagine that you're you have a brother, maybe you have a brother or sister. Let me, well, let's give a comparison. Like, let's just say sisters as well. You know, this could go to anybody. So you have a sibling and what you're ultimately fighting for is you're fighting for initially throughout childhood, you're fighting for your parents' attention. And some parents, whether they acknowledge it or not, show favoritism one child over another. And even myself, five kids, I, I like to tell myself, well, I try to give them all different love. But there's some things I have bonds with others, you know, that's then, you know, to be a parent in general, you give certain aspects of your life to each child. And I have bonds with each child that's different, you know, from my oldest son to oldest daughter to my youngest son to my youngest daughter to my middle daughter. Each one has a different part of me. And there's aspects of me that I'm drawn to each one of them. You know, my oldest son and I, we play video games. And that's our little bond. Or, or we talk about random stuff or maybe now he's growing into the farming or agriculture part, which is a huge part of my life. And I don't know if these are things that he chooses to do or if they're they're not. But with Esau, Esau grew into his dad's part of his life. He grew into the dad's part of his life where he loved to hunt and eat wild game. And that's why he, he knew that Esau could bring him the best meal ever to where Jacob, he loved Jacob, but he just didn't have that bond with him because Jacob was more of an inside type person. So it's kind of like similar to my younger son. I love him to death, but his his bond and my bond are two different bonds. Like he likes to build stuff. I like to build stuff and fix stuff. But to get on his avenue, I have to understand that he's a puzzle. He, he has a thought process of puzzle building and building robots or creating things. And he's not very much of an outdoorsman. He's not very much of a, you know, hunter per se or farmer. He might at times try to articulate his life around mine, but it's not there. And so the bond that we have at times may seem strained unless one of us are willing to do what the other one wants to do. And that can cause strain itself. So with my daughters, the similar situation, I have my oldest daughter is an amazing artist. My middle daughter, she's like a clown, a dancer. She loves dancing. And then my youngest daughter, she's like a hybrid mixture of both, you know. And each one I love differently. But I love them all with major love. And each one expresses their love to me differently out of the five. 
it doesn't mean I'll love them any less or any more. I just feel that God creates this way for us to love our children and to try to groom them and teach them. And ultimately, all we want is for them to, you know, for each five, one of my children, I try to not feel like I'm given a blessing over another. Like I see the conflict, the the tornness that uh, Isaac had with feeling like, oh, my gosh, like, what? how can I bless you? I only have one blessing to give, but then he comes up with another blessing that God provides. So I believe that, you know, say you have one piece of property, that one piece of property, you want all five. Well, for me, I want all five of my kids to find out a way to split it between them for it to not be destroyed or to cause division. But it, in this humanistic world, they might divide themselves over it. And that's the saddest part about it. Unless they can find a way to say, this is where we're going to come and have our holidays and love each other. And nobody's going to have ownership of it, but we're all going to take care of it together. That's the only way that they can achieve and succeed upon God's blessing of the family. And that's where they have to have a relationship with God, realizing this is all temporary and that the ultimate true blessing is heaven. And the only way they're going to get there anyways is through acceptance of Christ and living for Christ. So we're going to go to now Jacob is in fear. He's in fear of his brother because he believes now I just stole my brother's blessing. And now my brother's out to want to kill me and destroy me. So let's see if I can find myself in my stay notes. I apologize. Uh, so it would be Esau would come home to find that his blessing was stolen by his brother. Jacob would lie and deceive Isaac to gain blessing. All right, here we go. 41. So it'll be 41 through 46 on chapter 27. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessings in which his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The day of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So he said that, you know, I will mourn my father. And then after I'm done mourning my father, I'm going to kill my brother. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets that you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both? And one day, and Rebecca said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heath. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heath, like these who are the daughters, Heath was probably like the, the pagan god they were serving in Canaanite, daughters of the land, what good will my life be? So, that's where chapter 28 will pick up at chapter 28 is going to tell us about, you know, Jacob's journey and actually the, the ascension on the Jacob's ladder, which is very interesting because, you know, there's a lot of theories that go with that. And hopefully we'll have a guest host, uh, Chris, talk to us about that part later on. But on uh, <clears throat> 28, Isaac calls Jacob to him, tells him to not marry 
a Canaanite woman. Isaac instructs Jacob to go to Paran Aram. Isaac instructs Jacob to take a wife from Rebekah's brother Laban's daughter, which is interesting because that, you know, obviously Rebekah came from Abraham's uh, brother or sister's family. I believe it's either brother's sister. I, I apologize about that one, but I do believe it's her brother's side. Um, and then, so we're now going back to, so this would be his cousin, his second cousin's, you know, child. So Esau would marry another woman once this takes place. So Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there. And that he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, You shall not take a wife for the daughters of Canaan. And Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Paran Haram. Also, Esau saw the daughters of Canaan did not please his father's Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael. Remember Ishmael, Isaac's brother? This is where the story gets interesting. And took. Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife in addition to his wives he had. So he already still had two pagan wives. So he kind of still is in the situation where I have two pagan wives, but now I have a, a wife of my, you know, my uncle's daughter. And so this is, once again, I told you in Isaac and in Abraham that Ishmael would be the father of Muslims. So what is Esau? Esau would be a part of the the Muslim uh, activity. So it said uh, Esau attempts to return to his parents' good graces by marrying a daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. However, he did not separate himself from his pagan wives. So even though he tries to gain favor in his dad's sight, he still doesn't have because he still has those, these pagan wives. These women that worship pagan gods. So I'm, you know, that, that that's like, you know, shows the unevenly yokedness of his life. So it said this was the first of two means. Well, so now, I apologize, I was jumping up. So now, here we go. Here's where things would start to get interesting for uh, Jacob. Gen 28, verse 12. It says, then Jacob, then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached the heavens. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, Jacob's ladder. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God and of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. And the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done that. I have spoken with you. So that's that's the Jacob's ladder right there. So here's here's where we're gonna 
give you the little study notes off that. That I find interesting. This was the first of two meetings between God and Jacob at Bethel. On this occasion, Jacob dreamed of the ladder spanning earth to heaven with angels of God traveling, traversing, my apologies, it. The latter is a splendid metaphor of eternal God's desire to communicate with men, with men mere humans. Speculatory, the Lord appeared above the latter and declared that his promise to Abraham and Isaac extended to Jacob as well. Jacob's stone pillow became a crown of memorial pillar where he vowed fidelity to the Lord. Bethel, the house of God, was instantly a sacred place for Jacob. It was there God met with him, dwelt with him, and took a special interest in his needs. The words, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, must have reassured Jacob when he was alone and on the run. So, you know, Jacob would awake from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is his gate to, of heaven. So that's that's where he's going to see, he's going to wind up, you know, making a point to where he, that's where he's going to dwell with him. That's where he's going to fellowship with him. That's where he's going to talk to him about all of his problems and concern him. It would show us that God had favor with Jacob at this time frame as well, because now he's done received the blessing from his father. Even though it was through deceit and lies, he's done received it. And so now he's on this journey to find the woman that's going to bear his seed to continue the bloodline of, of Abraham and continue the bloodline of Isaac. And continue his bloodline. And as it said, this would be the first of two meetings. The second meeting, which we'll read on part two of the Jacob's Ladder series, would detail a much different uh, outcome than what this one did. This one was, I think, God awakening to him and saying, Hey, we haven't spoken, but I'm the father of your I'm the I'm God, and I am pretty much gonna be here on your journey of life. He's, it's like an introduction. It's an introduction of you know the Lord giving in him you know, a vision. And I believe that some of these things happen maybe outer body. You know, sometimes we have these visions with God. Like I had one last night uh, where I dreamed that the tattoos that I had, they all just disappeared off my arms. And then somebody asked me, so why, where did all your tattoos go? And I said to him, I said, I have no clue. And I, I didn't look upset or anger or depressed i was just fine because i know that i'm more than just a body that i'm a spiritual being that is serving god that is living for jesus christ that is going to go that extra mile and i know that whatever differences i may have or whatever things that may strap me to this earth or that had strapped me to this earth are now diminishing from me and they're becoming more and more christ-like so I'm going to pause this story here on uh, at the end of chapter 28, Genesis chapter 28. When we pick it up next time, we'll be on Genesis 29. But I'm also going to say this. 
I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with. But we all have pains, whether yours is financial, physical, emotional, mental. Whether you're trying to get back up on your feet, whether you're trying to start something new, whether you're trying to ask God for where what does he want from you, whether you're going through oppression, whether you're by yourself listening to this podcast for the first time or for the, you know, continuous time, just know that God loves you, that Jesus loves you, that I love you, and I'm grateful for you. And that together, our walk with Jesus is not a lonely walk. He is there with us. The footsteps on the beach do not show just your feet. They show his as well. And the pains you may feel in life, just know they're temporary. Whether they're body pains or emotional or mental pains, they're temporary. And that when we release them and give them to God, that there's a clarity that is given to us. A peace that we live with. And a desire to truly grow that is there. I want to say before I end this, uh, please check out our website, hiddenmanachurch.com, where you can see all of our resources from our podcast to our you know, prayer list, to you can see our blogs, to even you can see questions or submit questions and we will answer them. Also, please email me if you have any questions about what we've spoken about or if you want to hear a certain topic at Mark Thomason at hidden, H-I-D-D-E-N, manachurch.com. And that's, once again, that's Mark, M-A-R-K, Thomason, T-H-O-M-A-S-O-N, at hidden, H-I-D-D-E-N, mana, M-A-N-N-A, church.com. And we're going to close out prayer, and I just want to say thank you again for a walk with Jesus. Lord, we thank you for those who have come here. We ask you for them to get nourishment from what's been spoken to be able to find that Jesus is through each and every page that they turn of the Bible. And if they don't have a Holy Bible for this, to fill them full of that Holy Spirit and for you to fill the rest of it up with the words that are in there. I am thankful, God, for everyone that you've sent to this podcast from the east to the west to the north to the south. And I ask you that they continuously be blessings to their communities and continuously share this gospel and holy word with one and all. And that you put me behind your cross and that only people see you in this walk that we're having. I thank you, Almighty Lord, for this platform you provided, Hidden Man Church, to be able to share this gospel with one and all. And that people are able to grow with you each and every day of our lives. I am so truly thankful and blessed, my Lord, to serve you. And I just want to say that I hope that you are continuously growing in all, everyone's life as they disciple with you. For your name I pray, my Lord. Amen. Until next time, my brothers and sisters, thank you and have a blessed day.